0: The trick, as you know, is to be appropriately afraid of the right things. Are you afraid of hell? Because you should be.
1: Welcome to A Better Word with Dr. Nick Gatsky, Senior Pastor of Old North Church in Canfield, Ohio. I'm your host, Brian Dolan. We continue on today in a series called Two Ways to Live with part two of a message called Rebellion met with justice now pastor this is a very specific series dealing with the most important concept we could ever talk about which is the gospel itself there's six aspects of the gospel as you break it down in the series somebody might go wow that sounds like you're really simplifying things here buddy could it possibly be that simple
0: yeah that's a great question and the answer is yes it can be that simple that god gives us the frameworks to understand our relationship with him And that framework can be broken down into ways that are easy to understand, both for the sake of our acceptance of it and for the sake of communicating with other people. And the more you study the Bible, the more you see the repetition of these things again and again and again. And so in the message today, we're talking about God's justice and the nature of judgment. That's all over the Bible. It's all over the Bible, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and in the end times. And so to be able to highlight those things, bring them to the fore, and then describe why they matter and what they mean for us is really, really important.
1: And somebody might ask, okay, why do a series on the gospel? I mean, come on, it's the gospel. Everybody knows that in the church. Why not parse the Greek on something? Yeah. Find the original Hebrew.
0: You know, we did an experiment in our church, and we asked people to describe the gospel in a way that was succinct and clear, but encompassed all of its parts. And it was a great exercise for people because it helped them to understand that most of us get much of the gospel or some of the gospel or parts of the gospel, but we don't communicate the whole gospel. And judgment specifically is one of those parts that the vast majority of people
1: leave out. Yes, they skip over that part, right? They say Jesus died and yay, you get to live again. Yep, exactly. Not that we are deserving of God's justice for our sin. Or
0: that that justice has been met with on the cross or that that justice will be met in final judgment someday. And so there's multiple layers of this justice and judgment dynamic that we are tempted
1: in our feel-good day to just gloss over and move on. Well, we'll hear more about that in today's message, part two. It's called Rebellion Met with Justice. Here's Pastor Nick.
0: Paul gives a description of what rebellion against God looks like, the process of it within humanity, and why, in so many ways, it is deserving of wrath and judgment. Here's just the summary. Here's here's the, the flow, of the logic. God's divine attributes are plain to all, namely his eternal power and divine nature. God makes himself clear to humanity. No one is without excuse in that way. Humans knew him. They recognized him as such, but they didn't honor him nor give him thanks. Instead, they became futile in their thinking and foolish in their darkened hearts, Paul says. And as a result, God let them do so, and they became increasingly sinful in all kinds of ways. That list of sexual sins followed by that big, long list of all kinds of sins that we can all apply to ourselves in different ways. And because of this, God's wrath is being revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness. Romans 2, 2, the very next chapter says, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. And we didn't think our sins were that big of a deal. Did we? I know I didn't. But God the King judges the rebellion of sinners. And so the warning is that judgment is coming. We've seen the logic anyway. I don't know if we feel it in our hearts yet, but we see the logic, don't we? God's the king, we rebel. What does a king do in the response of rebellion? Judgment. Justice is required. If God is going to be God, that is part of who he is, an attribute of him. The question then becomes, how is this justice administered? We see in the Bible that justice is administered through judgment in a variety of ways and in a variety of chronologies. We see from the very beginning that there's immediate judgment. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. They sinned when they ate of the apple, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it says this, it says, "God, the Lord God sent them out of the garden, that's judgment, to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Further, we see right away at the very beginning of this rebellion story that there is a curse of sin that is placed upon humanity. They would have enmity with Satan from that day forward. They would have pain in childbirth. They would have difficulty with the land. They would have strife and relational tension with one another. Rebellion against the king meant that everything else got harder. And that is a form of immediate judgment. We see in the Bible that sometimes God judges through human agents. Throughout the Old Testament, God used other nations and other people to discipline and to judge his people, Israel. Likewise, at times, he used Israel to discipline and to judge other nations while they were rebelling. There are many examples of this, but maybe most pointedly, Isaiah chapter 45 talks about God, the king of the universe, raising up and anointing a pagan king named Cyrus to judge Israel. In the New Testament, Romans chapter 13 says that God uses the governments of the world in a similar way says this it says in Romans 13:4 he the human ruler is god's servant for your good but if you do wrong be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is the servant of god an avenger who carries out god's wrath on the wrongdoer so god judges through immediacy sometimes sometimes he judges through human agents. Sometimes God defers his judgment, and his judgment is expressed through our mortality. Genesis 2.17, God warns Adam and Eve, even before they sin, of what would happen if they rebel. He says this, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Physical death was never supposed to be the reality for people. It's the consequence of judgment, which comes because of rebellion. Likewise, New Testament, Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spreads to all men because all have sinned. Death is a consequence of rebellion. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so you see, mortality is part of this judgment, but there's another judgment that's coming. God judges and disciplines during our human life, and we see that our life here on earth is not the end of our existence even though the entire world will come to an end, people will live on. And it says in Hebrews nine twenty seven, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after death comes judgment. There is a judgment that will happen after we are dead. Jesus warns about this judgment Perhaps more than anything else. Many places and many times, Matthew 10, 28, he says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 5, 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Your rebellion is that bad, Jesus says, for it's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Matthew 23, 33. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Luke 12, 5. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Because God the King judges the rebellion of sinners. The phrase, be afraid. (laughs) Be very afraid. Was the tagline for a 1986 movie called The Fly. Be afraid. Be very afraid. If you Google that phrase today, you will get over 1 billion hits in 0.67 seconds. I did it yesterday. But the trick, as you know, is to be appropriately afraid of the right things. Because what people often fear is not always what should be causing that spike of adrenaline within them. Here are some examples. Are you afraid to fly? Point zero 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 one percent chance of dying in an airplane crash. However, on the other hand, the car insurance industry estimates that the average driver will be involved in three or four car crashes in their life, and the odds of dying in a car crash are about 1% to 2%. Are you afraid of heights? It's the second most reported fear behind public speaking. (laughs) Your chance of being injured from falling, jumping, or being pushed from a high place is about 1 in 65,092. The chance of having your identity stolen is 1 in 200. (laughs) Do you have a fear of being killed by a bolt of lightning? The odds of that happening are about 1 in 2.3 million. You're much more likely to be struck by a meteorite, believe it or not. Those lifetime odds are about 1 in every 700,000. How about dogs? They bark and their bark really is worse than their bite. Your chance of suffering a dog bite is about 1 in 137,694. On the other hand, your chance of being injured while mowing the lawn is about 1 in 3,600. How about sharks? You are much more likely to be killed by your spouse. which is about one in 135,000 compared to one in 300 million. The key is to be afraid of the right things. Are you afraid of hell? Because you should be. Are you afraid of it for those in your family, for those who you know and who you love? Are you afraid of the right thing? God the king judges the rebellion of sinners. It has to be that way. You don't typically want to think about that. Most of us don't. Most of us want to be inspired and to be encouraged. But inspiration and encouragement that is only this deep will only take you so far When you're inspired and encouraged based off of even deeper and greater realities, it actually is enough to carry you through all of your days. And this justice of God that we don't like to think about and the horrors of hell which we never talk about actually motivate a variety of really good things in us. Here's just four. Do you know that the final judgment satisfies in so many ways our inner desire for justice in the world? You know that sense of turmoil that you feel? That sense of anger that you have when you witness unfairness? Some of you are higher on that justice scale than others. If you look at your kids, if you have multiple kids, you might be able to pick out the one that's really angered by injustice. We have that in our family. But All of us to one degree or another. When someone's family member is taken away because of senseless violence. We sense injustice. Or when a child dies of hunger because a brutal regime is withholding food from its own people. Or when someone is passed over at work due to their skin color or their gender The list of injustices in this world go on and on and on. And in each case, you want justice. You want it that way. You want things to be made right. And you should. We all have this inner desire to see things come back to the way they're supposed to be. God's reign as king will ultimately be marked by a restoration of final justice that is completely fair in its effect. Romans 2.11 says that God shows no partiality. Nothing slips past him. Nothing is treated in a manner that is inconsistent with his righteousness and his holiness. They're inextricably linked in that way. Revelation chapter 20 tells us about how this justice is going to be evaluated. In verse 12, when it gives the picture of the final judgment... It says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they have done. God sees, and he knows, and he administers true Justice. God, the King, judges the rebellion of sinners. The second thing that this justice motivates in us is that it empowers us actually to forgive people freely. Well, you say, how does that happen, Pastor? I don't exactly understand. When somebody does something against me, I don't know that I want to forgive them. I actually want to get back at them. And that's precisely the point. Because we don't have to take vengeance. Because we know that God will ultimately set things right. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And so even though justice might be delayed much longer than we emotionally want it to be, our place is not vengeance. And when we take things into our own hands to exact vengeance, if you've ever done that before, you know that it ultimately doesn't give you the satisfaction that you think it will number one. And number two, things don't work out the way that you think it will. You think it will provide immediate gratification and that you will be the one to restore perfect justice in the world. And it never, ever works that way. Why? Because vengeance belongs to God. And if that's true, then you actually have the opportunity to forgive. The third thing that final judgment motivates in us is righteous living. If we know that judgment is coming, we have the motivation to be faithful to the king in our daily choices, not as a means of earning his favor or earning our salvation or earning our forgiveness, but as we look ahead to the eternal reward that Jesus gives. Paul speaks about this in a lot of different ways. He gives this incredible hope and certainty that he will avoid judgment and that all the people who put their faith in Jesus will avoid judgment as well. While at the same time standing in an appropriate fear of that judgment day that is coming. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Fourthly, final judgment prompts evangelism. In the Old Testament, the message of the day of the Lord, the great and terrible day of the Lord, was a message that the prophets gave to the people to turn back to God as their king, lest they be judged. Ezekiel chapter thirty three eleven says, "'Say to them as I live,' declares the Lord God, "'I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, "'but that the wicked turn from his way and live. "'Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. "'For why will you die, O house of Israel?' And in the New Testament, Peter tells us that God has a purpose in delaying this final judgment. There's a reason why, upon your sin or upon even the end of your life, that judgment is not immediate in its effect. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I don't want to be judged by God for my rebellion. And I don't want the people I know to be judged by God for their rebellion. The time of that judgment has not yet come. And so we now have the opportunity to help others understand the very simple truth that there is two ways to live. You can live under your own rule, or you could live under God's rule. God is the ruler of the world, and everything in it. We all reject God's rule by running our own lives our own way. God's punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. Those are the first three points of our six points in the gospel outline. And they point us to a need for a savior. Friends, nobody likes to think about, as we've mentioned, the nature of judgment or the difficulty and the horrors of hell. If we're honest, very often we don't even like to be reminded about it on Sunday. (laughs) Much rather, hear a sermon about how God has your back at hard times. But the good news of the gospel is that you can escape judgment. But if judgment is justice served, there is a person who has come and borne that judgment for you so that justice could be served. Jesus came to bring us back under the rule of the king. He also came to bear the weight of judgment that I deserve and that you deserve and that any who believe in him deserve. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28, we read the first half of that just a couple minutes ago. It says this, and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, Here's the second half. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Christ came to pay the penalty for judgment. He did that for you so that you could go back and live under the rule of God. Pearl Harbor demonstrated that not only were an admiral and a general unprepared, that the authorities were unprepared and the whole nation was in a lethargy of self-satisfaction. In spite of all of the evidence that an attack would come, the people were amazed when it did. The same is true for the approaching judgment of God, friends. It is coming upon the world. The Bible tells us that judgment is coming. People are warned to flee from the wrath of God. They're warned that sudden destruction will come upon them. It will come as suddenly as a stroke of lightning goes from east to west and as unexpectedly as a thief in the night. And despite all of the warnings, the world sinks in its lethargy of self-satisfaction, but it will be awakened by a blow far more rude than Pearl Harbor. For just as the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance, so are his judgments.
1: You're listening to A Better Word with Dr. Nick Gatsky. And that wraps up today's message. Uh, but hey, you know, you mean the world to us. We're so grateful for you. We know you're faithfully listening to this program and growing in your relationship with Jesus. By chance do you have a prayer request you'd like to share with us? We'd love to hear it. You could submit your prayer request today at our website. It's a org. That's a betterword.org. Submit your prayer requests, maybe listen to today's message all over again. Learn more about our team and maybe even prayerfully consider a gift because it's your gifts that keep this ministry going. We're listener supported. And with your gift this month to this ministry, we'll send you something. It's a book by Philip Jensen and Tony Payne called Guidance and the Voice of God. How do you know when God's calling you to do something? How do you know when it's God's voice speaking to you? This book helps you sort all of that out. You can get a copy today with your gift to a better word. Donate today at abetterword.org. That's abetterword.org. A Better Word is a teaching ministry of and is sponsored by Old North Church of Canfield, Ohio.